I'm 69. I was thinking to myself that I'm young enough to learn something else. I may not master it, but I'm still young enough to learn something else. And if I wait five years, I might not be. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. There's a stance that I hear a lot of practitioners take. I'm a healer. I'm not a business person. You know what? I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it because too often it sounds like an excuse to shy away from uncomfortable or less than fully developed places that we have in ourselves. It's a way to let yourself off the hook and avoid the difficult emotional work digging into those shadow aspects of yourself that make you uncomfortable. I'm not buying it that you can be a great practitioner and sidestep any issues that you might have with money, power, or authority. In Chinese, there's the term jianren. It refers to a person who is fully developed, someone who can inhabit all the nooks and crannies of their life and their being. Traditionally, doctors were skilled in poetry, calligraphy, and some other cultivative practices. They were expected to be good with medicine, but also to be well-rounded and able to inhabit a wide swath of human experience. And I think it's true today. We need to be well-rounded. Work that kinks out a discomfort or avoidance of those aspects of our life and our practice that makes us uncomfortable. How can you really help your patients when they're up against some issues of authority when you yourself have unresolved issues in that domain? And how can you really understand or help your patient when their financial issues completely mirror yours? And I can promise you, if you have not stepped into your own authority, then you will be at the mercy of patients that excel in that domain. Taking responsibility for the business of your practice is a kind of cultivation. You're going to bump up against family stories, opinions of friends, social pressures from those that you respect, and also your own dark corners of incompetence. Let me tell you, it's not fun and it's not easy. But it is essential to our clinical work and to grow into a jianzhen around these issues. Not just for your own development, but because it will give you a deeper ability to sit with problems that your patients bring to you without losing your own grounding. Developing yourself around the issues of money, power, and authority not only gives you the opportunity to bring more of yourself to your clinical encounters, but you'll also be able to better navigate through the world in a myriad of other ways. Saying that you're a healer, not a business person, is standing up for your limitations. And my suspicion is that transforming and inhabiting those shadow aspects of ourselves, it makes us better at the work that we do. There's a lot of concern for newer practitioners and how to craft a life that helps you to get a practice going. But there's the other end of this process, which is closing down a practice after what's hopefully been a long and fruitful career. And while you don't hear people talking much about this, it is a part of the lifespan of a practitioner to address this vital aspect of transition. In this conversation with Charlie Braverman, we discuss how you know it's time for a change and what comes next in the life of an acupuncturist who has closed the doors on the working phase of life. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. 
Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one -on -one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. We know from our clinical work that transition and change is the ever-shifting ground upon which we live. Let's get into this conversation with Charlie about the sunset of a practice and what happens next. 
Charlie Braverman, welcome to Geological. Well, thank you. It's certainly an honor. I'm a listener, so I'm really excited about this. You know, one of the things I love about doing the podcast is while sometimes I do talk to people that are, I guess we could say luminaries in the profession, by and large, I like to talk to just plain old practitioners who are, you know, they're just like busy doing the work. Just like everyday regular folks like you, like me, you know, we're just like doing our thing. Well, yesterday I was listening to the last conversation you had with Dan Schulman, and the idea of a journeyman is close to my heart. Mine too. And there's nothing wrong with being a good, solid journeyman or journeywoman. You know, just someone who is like good at their craft and they're well-rounded and so they can have other things that they're doing in their life besides whatever, you know, that thing is that we're making our living with. You know, I think about, you know, Renaissance people. You know, you think about people like Leonardo da Vinci and, you know, people like that. We call them masters. But they had such a breadth of things, right? I think it was that journeyman state of mind that, that probably got them into where they were going. Well, with Leonardo, I, <laughs> I think it goes beyond journeyman. But every generation has a Leonardo, has an Einstein, has a, uh, gosh, I wonder who it would be in our generation right now. Who would that be? I hope it isn't Elon Musk. I don't know. It might be. But it might be. <laughs> it might be. That Neuralink thing is a little weird, but, you know, awesome car company and shooting off model rockets to Mars is, you know, and, and then building a Hyperloop in your spare time. is. So it could be. Yeah. Could be. It could be an Elon Musk. I mean, I, I would suspect that anyone who has that kind of particular genius in their generation, people look at them and go, I don't know about that. I mean, impressive, but I don't know about that character, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's something about him that doesn't quite fit in the times. Yeah. Yeah. So you say Elon Musk. Why why do you bring up Elon Musk? I mean, I've got my own reasons, but I'm I'm curious to know yours, and then we're gonna dive into some stuff that has to do with Chinese medicine. Because he is those things. He started out as a an internet entrepreneur, then he shifted to electric cars, then he, he looked outward to to space. He's he's a wild man. Along with all of that, he's so much a part of of this period. He's a Twitter guy, and he'll say anything. He'll destroy his company for the sake of one moment on Twitter. You don't get that everywhere. I was I was not happy when the uh, you know securities exchange slapped that fine on him because it didn't do good for my Tesla stock. But... <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it's come back. I think. Oh my God! It was like over two thousand here recently. <laughs> yeah. Ridiculous. So... Yeah. Yeah. So, did you know about the flamethrower project that he did? Yeah, heard about that. I remember it turned out not to be the, the flamethrower we all thought it was supposed to be, but it's still kind of a flamethrower, a little bit dangerous, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sold out in like what a day, right? Yeah, can't have any more. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll finish this up by saying yes, being able to be entrepreneurial. And technically innovative, that's this time. Leonardo, he could sell himself, but he wasn't a very good entrepreneur, I don't think. He couldn't even finish most of these projects he, he set out to sell. So that's a big difference between those two guys. Yeah. Alain can sell. Alain can sell. Yeah. Alain can sell. It's interesting thinking about those 
similar sorts of characters. Man, if you could like sit down and invite some people to dinner, right? Bring Alan, bring bring Leonardo, maybe Benjamin Franklin, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. could be fun. All right. Well, speaking of journeymen, I often ask people what got them into acupuncture, but today, what I want to start with is what got you thinking about it's time to wind down an acupuncture clinic because you're a person who has, well, you've done other things in your life. We'll get into that. You've been a practitioner, but you've recently wound down an acupuncture practice. You know, often we hear about getting things started or how you keep it going. But, you know, if you live long enough, at some point, either you, you know, die next to your table or you decide, okay, there's another stage of life and, and maybe acupuncture is not a part of it. So I'd, I'd like to begin with what was going on for you when, when you realized, hmm, time for a change. That's a great place to begin. I'm 69 years old. And about three years ago, a lot of my friends work in government. So they were retiring at the age of 65, 66. And I set out three criteria under which I would retire. I had no interest in retiring and really saw myself moving into a a sort of emeritus stage uh, at some point, but I didn't feel like that. So I thought my patients could shift to somebody else. My practice might just diminish dramatically. My skills could diminish dramatically or I could find something that I was more interested in, um, something that that captivated me. I had those really clearly in mind for most of those two and a half or three years. And then something else happened. And what happened was what I now see was classic burnout. I had always loved the experience of meeting a new patient. I loved that conversation. I loved the sense of exploration. And I had a great optimism that we could do something, almost always. The exception would be when when somebody, usually it would be a wife or a mother, would drag in a husband or her mother and want me to solve the problem. So that I, I learned how to deal with. But otherwise, I loved that process. Mm-hmm. That discovery and that, that who is this and what's here and what are their resources and, you know, how can we make this work? You sound like you've been very optimistic in your practice that the kind of trust you had for the medicine. There's something we can do here with this. For years, that's how I felt. It didn't always bear out, but that's how I felt. It was almost a snap. I dreaded meeting somebody. I dreaded hearing about the acupuncturist who they'd had 20 years ago who would solve that problem. So I'm back for another guy who can do the same. Or hearing about this whole series of medical mistakes that had gotten them or or helped to get them in this position that they, they now entered my office and expected an acupuncturist, maybe a shaman, maybe something even beyond that. Who knew what? So I didn't have that optimism anymore. Uh It just went out of you. It went missing. Yeah. There was no pleasure at that point in doing what I was doing. 
there aren't many benefits to the year that we've had. COVID is not a benefit. But in this case, it certainly helped to clarify that I wasn't going to return to my practice. So that was a benefit. That was a benefit of this. I've, I've heard different people talking about COVID. Yes, it's not been an easy time. No doubt about that. But I've heard a number of people talk about how it has helped them to clarify what's important, what's not important, let go of some things that may not be so important, or because some things are not available to realize, I don't think I really need that anyway. Just finding other ways to be. It has offered that. And so for you, you got some clarification. Or, or I guess I should say you already had the clarification, you got a confirmation. I got a confirmation, but also it was a very easy way to shutter my practice. I didn't have to have a conversation with 20 patients I'd been seeing for either a few, a few visits or for years and have, and have that conversation. I simply sent out a letter, which, by the way, was, was a really great thing to do. I sent out a letter to probably 40 patients who either I would see once a year or, or anybody who I had been seeing for an extended period of time or any period of time just prior to, to the COVID experience. The great thing was that I got responses. Mm-hmm. You sent a letter, not an email. I sent a letter. That's right. You sent a letter. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Old school. Yeah, old school. That's right. And what it did was that I got responses, which was great because I had left. I was in this burnout place. And part of burnout is that all you can see when you look around, all you remember is the patients where nothing worked or where it was working and then it just stopped this replaced that. So it was really great. I had people giving me resolution to those stories that you never hear what happens. You know, sometimes people leave and you don't know what happens. You have no idea. And and I don't know about you, but my mind would usually go to, well, I guess that didn't work very well. And they they just politely didn't come yeah, back. That's right. Uh, yeah. But you know, you stick at this long enough. Sometimes they will come back. And you find out that they've been gone for five years because that problem that they were having with their digestion, well, they don't, they haven't had that for years. <laughs> That's now right. they got this thing with their knee and, you know, can you help me with my knee? But people never really call to go, hey, I'm doing great. Thanks. You know? That's right. Which yeah. Is, it, it, it's one of those things that we live with as practitioners. A lot of non-resolution, right? Just a lot of like, I, I think I helped. I hope I helped. You had... For much of your career, it sounds like a, an optimism that Chinese medicine, we can do something to be useful and helpful. And, and I have that too. If I didn't have that, I would not be getting out of bed in the morning and doing what I do. I, I would go do something else. I'd deliver groceries. I'd create another business. I'd do something. You know, I want to feel like I'm useful. And, and I feel like so often with our medicine, we are, but we don't always get that resolution. So here you are. You write them a letter. That, first of all, that's got to touch people. Anytime I get a letter from someone, every now and then someone will, you know, I ask for postcards on the podcast. Every now and then I get a postcard. It makes me almost unbearably happy. I feel so connected to. When someone takes the time to write a letter and they put it in an envelope, 
and, and then sometimes they'll pick out like a really beautiful stamp to put on it too, right? It's not just one of those flag stamps, right? It's like a beautiful stamp and you go, ooh, wow, someone, someone was using a little intention. So you sent that letter out and you got resolution back. The letter gave these patients something that they probably didn't know, which was I told them what I had set out to accomplish in my practice. And then they could line up whether or not that had happened. And I think that that was part of why they responded. It was a very sweet way to end for me. So we've talked about one side of this, which was the burnout side. And the other side was that I'm 69. I was thinking to myself that I'm young enough to learn something else. I may not master it, but I'm still young enough to learn something else. And if I wait five years, I might not be. I'm 69 and I'm young enough to learn something else. <laughs> yeah, brother. I am. It's not too late and you're not too old. It's really true, isn't it? It is true. It I've been is surprised true. at the vitality. The, or I should say the kind of vitality. It's not like the vitality you have at 30 in a physical way, but there's this other kind of vitality that can show up in your 60s. And you just spoke to it. That's right. And I've been, in, in these last several weeks, I've been exploring that and uh, uh, returning to some of the things that at one time had interest to me. So I, I, we have a piano, so I started to play piano again. I can tell you that I'm playing as well as I ever did, and I was never good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I've certainly mastered that bar. Let me talk about one about one thing that goes way back, and it goes back to uh, to the last time I had this experience of thinking I can learn something new, even though it feels like I'm too old. And that's when I was 46 and decided I would become an acupuncturist. Uh huh. At 46. At 46, and at 46, I had to convince myself that I could that I could learn something new, it was required that, that I take anatomy and physiology. So I thought, well, that's great. If I can learn, and I, I was not a, I'd never studied medicine in any way, so I really knew nothing. And it was a great way to test myself and see if I could memorize, if I could assimilate, absorb, if I had the stamina to sit through a class, any of those things. What a wonderful approach. Let me do this kind of as a prerequisite, it's kind of a screening for myself. If I can do this, then I can probably do that. Yeah. So here I am with a piano in front of me, and I'm learning how to work with chords and learning how to do things that really I had never done as a, a boy of 13 or 14, um, taking piano from, I'm sure they were not great teachers, but I was not a great student. Um, but I, well, but so I, you guys were well matched. Oh yeah, yeah we were, <laughs> we were, and, and here I am learning a different way to look at the piano and it's, and I'm really learning something that's very reassuring. I don't think you'll see me as the Carnegie Hall acupuncturist. I do think I can learn something new. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I love hearing you talk about coming back to the piano when I was a kid, I took guitar lessons for a while. The problem back then was I wanted to be able to play guitar, but I wasn't that interested in learning 
how to play guitar. I just wanted to be able to play guitar. And then I've got a younger brother who actually is a musician. And so for much of my life, I've gone nowhere near music because my brother actually has performed at Carnegie Hall and Radio City and all really? kinds of, yeah, he's, he's like a, he's a, he's a professional musician. He's, he's been one, you know, his entire life. That's what he, he decided at an early age, that's what he was going to do. And by gum, he went and did it. Yeah. He's like a world-class musician, my, you know, goofy little brother. So for a long time, I thought, you know, oh my God, you know, I, what am I doing playing? You know, he's a musician and oh my God. And what happens if my mom asks me to play for, her? I don't want to play, you know, I don't want to perform. I just want to see if I can learn to play guitar. And so I've been doing that for the past few years. You went back to it. Yes. Except instead of deciding I want to play guitar, the focus is how do I learn to play this thing? Yeah. And it's a whole different perspective. And in some ways, it doesn't matter how it sounds. What matters is how it is. It's like, oh, I can't get my finger around that chord. Well, what do I need to do? Oh, I drop my elbow. Oh, there it goes, right? Or sit this way or sit that way. And then, like, the best thing that happened, and my brother was actually in town, and him and my mom, they're over at my place, the guitar's sitting out. My mom goes, will you play something for us? The thing I most dreaded, because I don't want to play for anybody. I'm playing for me. I'm very clear this is for me. It's not for anyone else. It's not about doing it for someone else. It's about doing it for me. And I was able to, in front of my mom and my brother, go, he's the performer. I just do this for me. Nice. You know, to be able to know my space, know my domain. I'm in it for this. I'm not in it for that. You know, and that's not something I could have done earlier in life. I think that's something that comes in time when you, you, you know, you kind of have a sense of who I am, where I am, um, what I'm willing to do, and, and especially what I'm willing not to do, not willing to do. It makes it so much richer. Well, I'm impressed. And I'm doing similar. I'm not taking the piece that my teacher has told me to learn and going through and trying to learn it. I am, I'm, I'm working with what's called fake books. I didn't know fake books existed. Fake books are taking popular songs and rather than bass in a treble it's a treble usually one or two notes um, creating the the melody and the bass is the chords that go along with each bar of melody you can connect to a song much easier that way it's another way to connect to the music yeah because for the most part you have to learn 15 different chords and get pretty proficient at playing them. And then you have to do exactly what you described. You don't necessarily shift your elbow, but a chord is made up of three notes and you can shift which one comes first. So you can, you can organize your left hand to make it a very efficient movement from one chord to the next. Some of, of your listeners are really, really skilled musicians, and they're just holding their heads right now. And I'm, <laughs> I, I, I want to just apologize to everybody, everybody out there, but that's what I understand so far. But the, these kind of basics have a kind of beauty to them. And like to bring it like to acupuncture for a moment, I think about all the points that I learned in school. I think about the handful of points that I use today. It's like knowing a certain amount of chords. Here's the main chords that are going to get you 80% of what you need to get. 
question is, how am I putting those bad boys together? And the emphasis that, that you put on, it's really very, very similar. And I agree with you. They're similar. That's, there's no question about it. Yeah. I want to come back here for a moment. 46 years old. 46. Acupuncture school. What up? <laughs> <laughs> I was a commercial real estate broker in Albany, New York. I did okay. I, I'm not a great salesperson, but I'm a pretty good communicator. And I was known for my analytic skills. And I hooked up with somebody who was a much better salesman than I was. And we started a company. And that company is still going really, really strong. But I recognized within a year of creating that company, here I'd done it. I had created the, the perfect environment for me to be a real estate broker. And it still wasn't going to satisfy me. And up until then... I dreamed or I'd complained or I just tried or felt like I wasn't really, without all these things, right? But here I, here I had it. You created the perfect situation to do your work. It's like, I got here. I made it happen. And that was enough to know that it wasn't going to satisfy me for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I I was in a it. good position to, to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful because so often we're thinking about, oh, if I can just get this dialed in, then I can kind of coast. It's good. And here you are. It's like, I got it dialed in. Okay. Check mark. Done. Yeah. Now what? That's right. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I would want someone like you as my acupuncturist. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I want someone of that kind of spirit that it's like, how do I make this thing work? It's like, work, it work, it work. How's that chord work? I get, oh, I got that. Great. And it works. And it's satisfying when you get it worked out. Yeah. And then now what? That's right. Now what? So it was now what back then. And here I am one more time with another now what? With another now what? Yeah. So why acupuncture? I mean, acupuncture is kind of a weird thing. It, it's definitely a weird thing. And, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking Albany, New York, you know, 20 plus years ago, it's like acupuncture. It's like, what? I mean, I get it if you were in San Francisco or Seattle. but I know. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been great? But this is where we live. What I did was return to every profession that I had thought about prior to that. Everything probably except being a fireman. I really wanted to be a psychologist, and I wrote to two or three different psychology schools of psychology where I could commute. A anything I, I was going to do, I was going to either it was either going to be local or I was I was going to commute. I wrote and I said, "This is who I am. If I were to take these courses, these preliminary courses, is there a possibility that I could be accepted to your program?" And it seemed like a fair, legitimate question. It's a yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, and I, I what happened was take those courses and talk to us. And I didn't want to take a year or longer and do that only to hear somebody say, you know, you're a little bit old for what you're trying to do here, or this is not whatever. So I had to eliminate that. I'd always 
thought of myself as a writer and I had always, I, I, I've, I've written at times in my life. So I took a couple of writing classes with, uh, um, with local teachers and enjoyed that. I have an MBA from Georgia State University. One of my friends here was, uh, um, was an organizations specialist. So she specialized in the dynamics of how organizations work. And I thought, well, that could be interesting. Yeah, especially given your background with the real estate and building this company that actually freed you. So, you know, you, I mean, you've already got some movement in that direction. That's right. That makes sense. I shadowed her. I, I did some intern work with her and uh, helped her set up and listened as she worked with groups. And it wasn't a fit. Hello, everyone. Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang, which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind, and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So so smart to go check it out before you jump all the way in. Yeah, yeah. All of this left me exhausted, fatigued, um, a little bit uh, demoralized, and I went to an acupuncturist. Not much happened. I went four times, and the fifth time, it was like the clouds parted. And I, I had this, this tremendous um, sense of energy. I thought, well, what, what just <laughs> what happened that, what here? What was that? <laughs> so, uh, so I went home that evening, and I met my wife really in the vestibule of our house. I wasn't even in the door. And I said, you know, this is sort of interesting stuff. And... I think both of us knew from just that one sentence what the next four years were going to look like. That was it. And uh, yeah, and my acupuncturist tried to talk me out of it. <laughs> <laughs> is your acupuncturist Jewish by any chance? <laughs> he is not, but <laughs> but I am. Yeah, he tried to talk me out of it, but I was I was already there. That you were already there. Yeah. You know, I was, I was saying that, you know, that, was your acupuncturist Jewish? I was having a conversation at the dinner table the other night. My niece is, is Chinese. We have these interesting conversations around religion as a result. She's 16, almost 16. And, and we we're talking about different religions. And she was saying, why is it that, that Christians are always trying to get you to, to convert? 
But it's like, I never hear Jewish people doing that. I said, well, actually, you know, Alice, if you wanted to be Jewish, we tell you to get lost. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, you got to like knock on that temple door a few times. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and the Zen tradition is like that. And, you know, I think it's just a lot of traditions. It's like, hey, you know, we're fine. It's like, you got to really want to. Right. It's got to come from inside. And it sounds like something really came from inside for you with that. That's right. That's right. Something like that, it's got to connect to so many different parts of who you are. And so it connected to that, to that part that was curious. And it definitely connected to that part that really wanted to contribute, wanted to help people. Um, and I had even seen, I had seen that as a real estate broker. I say I wasn't a good salesman, but I could talk almost anybody out of anything. <laughs> I could say, this is not for you. Don't do it. So being able to talk anybody out of anything, and I love hearing that. So here's the thing that I think makes that a great salesman. You are trustworthy. You are so trustworthy because if you don't think it's good for someone, you're going to let them know. Absolutely. Wouldn't that just create tremendous amounts of trust? It worked in real estate, and it did definitely work in real estate. I, I really was known for that, and it worked, it, it worked in my practice of acupuncture. People really knew. They knew that if I thought I could help them, I would tell them. And if after a couple of times I really thought I wasn't the one, or acupuncture wasn't the one, or there was something else missing, or they should be doing something else, I would let them know. My one rule was that I had to give somebody the next step. I had to, mm -hmm. I had to be able to tell them what they can do next. But I was prepared to do that. You know, I, I love that phrase, give someone the next step. And I'm with you. There's times where I, I realize... Uh, I'm just not being that helpful. And I feel like m the most important thing I could do is to give them another step. Go try this, go do this, go do that. But sometimes it's also with the treatment. You know, often people come to us and, and they want to be completely cured or healed or, you know, whatever that is or whatever that means to them. And, and I know for myself, I've often taken that on as, okay, it's like I need to make this person, like, healthy again. But that's not actually true. It's their job to make themselves healthy. It's my job to assist but I love that thought, Charlie, of it's my job to give them the next step. Take them that next step, and then you see what's there. Maybe you can help more. Maybe they don't need you. Maybe they need something else. All of that, right, or but any I just, of that. I, I yep. love that. I mean, I'm just feeling for myself, hey, wow, if I think about all I need to do is get someone to that next step, give them the next step. I just feel all this pressure come off of me. It's like my chest is lighter just thinking about it. <laughs> well, yeah. It's it's true. It got me off the hook more gotcha. than once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's a hook we don't belong on. It's not our hook. That's right. Yeah. So you get them to the next step. You tell them if you can't help them. I do that all the time these days. I have people call and I, I just run a run a little one-man show these days. I just, I, I like my life being a little more simple. I'm happy to answer the phone and talk to people. And it's helpful because sometimes, often in fact, especially with the internet age, oh my God. I mean, when people are referred to me now from somebody who is a current patient, it's probably going to go pretty well. 
But man, you know, you get found on the internet, which is also not a bad thing, right? It's a great way to get, you know, practice going. But people have all kinds of expectations. And I feel like so often my job is to first of all see, do they have a realistic expectation? Because if they don't, I'm, I want to set that expectation right now. And if they still want to come see me, well, you know, we can talk about that. But I, I screen people out all the time. I probably screen out half the people that call me these days. It's like, Isn't no. that great? That comes only once, number one, you know who, who's a fit and who isn't. And also once you've got a practice that can survive being able to say no, right? Well, here's something that I wished I would have done earlier on, which was to have the nerve to say no when I felt no. Because while that may have gotten me one more person coming in that week, it wasn't that helpful for really building the practice. And it would make me exhausted because I put a lot of energy into that first treatment. And getting to know somebody. And then if it's like they don't come back, it's a real drain. Yeah, there was a little more money in my pocket, but there was a lot less chi in my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That shit can burn you out. I like the way you put that. That's exactly right. And I think it's also true, and this is kind of paradoxical as so many things are, that, that once you have the kind of practice that can easily sustain no's, actually a lot more yeses will come into that practice. I think that's true also. I think it is. But it, but it's like there's a certain stage we have to get to in our development as a practitioner and a certain confidence. doesn't hurt to have, you know, enough cash flow that you've got wind in your sails. I think that's also important. I think it's a lot of factors, really. You know, so much like in, in, in practicing our medicine, there are certain things that are right at one moment, and you need to do them. But at another moment, those very things will be wrong. And there's other things that will be right. You just have to kind of know what's right at any given moment and, and hopefully not do too many things that are not helpful so that you just can't get some traction. Don't do too many things that are not helpful. And of course, that's going to be different for every person, right? Because we all have these different life experiences. I'm thinking about you coming in in your mid-40s with the background that you had helping people with the real estate needs, you know, in a very heartfelt, in a very honest way, that's going to make you a different kind of practitioner than someone who's 29, fresh out of a doctorate program, and, you know, they've got a lot of book knowledge, but they may not have the same kind of, I mean, this is not to take away from anyone who's 29 years old, but, you know, at 29, we don't have the experience that we have at 49, you can drink a three-year-old whiskey. You can drink a 15-year-old whiskey. It's not the fault of the three-year-old whiskey that it's a three-year-old whiskey. <laughs> That's true. It's not bad. Um, but it does, it does take yeah. some seasoning. <laughs> well, I had seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know what else that you learned or grew into from selling commercial real estate that helped you to be an acupuncturist? Well, you know, in real estate, they talk about location, location, location. <laughs> yeah. I don't even have to finish the joke, do I? So, it's, so point location certainly came easy to me. 
I'll stop there for a moment because I, one of the things, you know, I, I you and I started to talk about this conversation um, well more than a week ago, and I've really been thinking a lot about about my practice in this last week. And uh, and one of the things that, that I really remembered back from the first couple of years was how the tremendous conversation I would have with myself with almost every treatment as to whether I was looking for th- that live point that the Japanese practitioners talk about or that anatomical point that TCM talks about and that I was tested on. I, I could never resolve that particular, that particular issue and, and they weren't the same point. And that question is so enlivening. That question of where's the alive point, where's the TCM point, or where's whatever someone of influence told us the point is or what that point was, to constantly be having that conversation about what is it, I suspect is what helps us to learn what it is. And it's not something that you just like nail down and go, that's it. It's this point, it works like this, you need it like that. Okay, maybe in this moment for this person, in this circumstance, you know, but acupuncture points are so alive. They're alive, and they're in different places, and they mean different things at different times. It's, it's like, well, I'm, I'm just going to go back to the metaphor here of like working with a, a real estate agent, right? You have to know who your client is, what they're looking for, what they're afraid of, what they think they know that they don't, right? I mean, there's all these things that go into helping somebody. And it's different from moment to moment. And it's different from person to person. And, and acupuncture is exactly like this in my experience. There's always this edge of what is it and am I connected to it? Which on certain days I go, oh God, am I ever going to learn this shit? you know, and feel like I know what I'm doing. And then, and then there's the other days where I go, no, this actually is the work. This edge of inquiry is where it happens. I lived successfully with that yeah. for <laughs> 15 or 18 years. I, I suspect this is why you've lived successfully with it. <laughs> <laughs> but at a certain point, I don't think it was as successful. I don't think it was as successful a domicile relationship as it had been. I don't think we were all living in the same house in the same way. I've always kept myself on a short leash. My patients have kept me on a short leash. And and what kind of short leash are we talking about here? I would really expect to see a result within, I, I would tell my patients four treatments, but I would get a very, very uncomfortable feeling if after two treatments they weren't reporting something that was an improvement in my mind. I'm completely with you on that. It, it may not be resolved in two treatments, but, but we have to see some kind of shift in trajectory. I thought it was important to keep them coming back. I think of myself as a, um, a giving individual, but there's a lot that goes on that's about me. Needing to see a response within two treatments was really about my comfort level, about my really being able to, to just, it was, it was my comfort level. Some of my patients probably could have, could have lived further than that, but I was determined as often as possible to see a very, very quick response. You had some high standards. 
I have high standards, yeah, yeah. I think it's the high standards that ultimately lead to to the kind of burnout that, that, that we started the conversation with. But it also leads to what I think was, was what I loved about the practice. I, I really loved that people were walking out of there feeling better. During COVID, this is one of the lessons of COVID for me. And, and I've mentioned this on the podcast. If you all have listened before, you've heard me say this. But one of the things that I discovered when I shut my practice down, because I shut it down for about two months, after having to shut down for a couple of weeks, I realized I was feeling light and unburdened. And it was very disturbing. It's like, unburdened? What? What do you mean, burden? I'm, I'm grateful for what I get to do. And that's true. But the other piece that was true and is true is that there is a burden that goes with our work. And it, it's not something to be gotten rid of, but it's also something not to be swept under the rug or ignored. That along with the privilege of doing the kind of work that we do, and it is a privilege to do it, and along with the satisfaction of being helpful in this world to other people, especially after they've been down a road of medical mistakes. Hopefully we're not making a mistake too, but you know, I, I, I hear you. Sometimes people come in and they tell me where they've been and it's like, oh my God, and no one even apologized to you along the way? I mean, it breaks my heart, right? So to be able to be of service and to be helpful is a wonderful thing. And we pay a price. Not knowing the price we pay means we're going to be paying some compound in interest on something that's like hiding out in the shadow aspect of our life. That's where burnout can come from. That's where, I mean, who knows, all kinds of other things can come from that. I think being able to name that there is I use the word burden, but, you know, you can use other words, right? There's a sentence, extra responsibility, or, you know, we want to make sure that our patients are getting better, and we hold ourselves to a higher standard in some ways, or a very high standard. We pay a little bit for that. It takes something out of us. I think it's important to recognize that. Not that we shouldn't be doing our work, because I think we should, um, but, but simply to recognize that there's a yin and yang to... To the whole experience. I had actually written a couple of questions for you. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I had. <laughs> How often uh -oh. am I going to get this opportunity after all? <laughs> and one of them was that I, I wonder if you've, if you've had the opportunity to talk about supervision in this profession within the context of this podcast. I haven't. Talk to me more about what you're thinking about. I'm thinking about it really almost from the day you leave, you leave school, you're, you're alone, mm -hmm. you have practice problems. What do I do? Nothing like this ever showed up in clinic. Nothing like this ever was talked about. Um, what do I do ethically? I've just taken a class in fertilization techniques and a woman walks in my office and she's um, she wants to support $10,000 of in vitro fertilizations, and I want to try out my new techniques on her. Do I? And then later on in the practice, there, there, there are these questions. If somebody had, if I had had an opportunity to talk to somebody, I don't know that I would still be in practice because 
I really also, I, I really strongly feel that I've got one more opportunity to learn something or to devote myself with some amount of energy to something new. But that set aside, if I could have talked to somebody about these issues of standards versus reality versus how do we maneuver through these, that's what I mean by, by supervision. Okay, that's that's a really big topic. Maybe not surprisingly, I, I've had some conversations with a a good friend of mine. She's she's been at it for twenty ish years now as well, and we've talked about how, like in the psychotherapeutic world, right, something that you'd been looking at until they didn't give you the right answer. <laughs> good for you for doing your due diligence, too. May I add, people get out of training to be a psychotherapist you know they go into practice but they're not alone man they've got like consultation groups and supervision groups and you know i've got friends that are psychotherapists man they've been at it for 30 years they still do supervision groups right because you always got some edge that you're working on that's right that's right and you know we have uh facebook groups it's not the same. When I started in practice, Michael, I organized a meeting of all of the acupuncturists in in the capital region. That's what Albany, New York is called. There, there are three cities, and there might have been 15 acupuncturists at the time. And I maybe corralled them for two meetings. And there was plenty of stuff to, to keep us engaged but it's very tough to hold acupuncturists together. Well, we're, we're kind of like herding cats, right? I mean, many of us are very, very independent. So, so there's that aspect, which is, you know, in some ways is helpful because if you're, um, if you got to be out there on your own, you better be able to show some independence. And, and that, that is one of the things that's, that's helpful if you're high in independence, you know, you, you probably got a shot at making it as an acupuncturist in private practice. That's true. The downside of that is how do you get help when you need help? So, you know, in some ways, I think our our modern interconnected world is in some ways substituting for that, right? There's a bunch of different groups on Facebook and, and, you know, different places. There's some people that are doing mentorship programs. There's that or people that are offering, you know, like postgraduate two or three year courses of study, you know, where you're learning from someone who's more experienced and you've got a cohort of people that you're working with. I know for myself right now, I came across this um, acupuncture, which has dramatically changed how I work. And, and there's kind of a group that's grown up around that. We're all learning it together. And so to be involved in a learning community of some sort, whatever the method, whatever you're doing, I, I think is often useful because difficulty in one area of life will often help you with other areas of life, right? Because things are often connected in, in surprising ways. But yes, I think something for people just getting out and getting going, so we can have our independence and we can be learning from our experience, and yet we've got a place where we're also like safely supported, a place where you can go and be vulnerable. Hey, here's the troubles I'm having. You know, one of the things I've noticed about acupuncturists, I'm just going to go ahead and name this man. I don't see anyone being more mean spirited toward acupuncturists than other acupuncturists. (laughs) 
I mean it. Probably, yeah. You know? I mean, you know, people in the medical, conventional medical system, they may not understand what we're doing, but they usually don't speak as lowly of us as we will often speak with, well, those guys that do that thing over there. It's like, what are they talking about? Blah, 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 right? So to be able to have a space where we can come together in a way, you know, where we're safe and we can be helpful with each other. I mean, in some ways, I, I think geological provides a little bit of this. I hear people talking all the time about how they feel like they're connected to our community. I know that I'm in a very privileged position where I get to have these conversations with people like you. We're, you know, we're just hanging out with another practitioner and, you know, we're talking about stuff. We're talking about the reality of being an acupuncturist. And I think that does serve to be helpful in some ways. Oh, it's unique. It's a unique opportunity to, to listen and hear these things and hear, hear an expression of the same doubts that I have. Of course, you also get to hear these remarkable insights, but what reassures the soul is somebody's, somebody else's doubts um, that are, are aligned with yours, um, and you're not alone. That rings true. Again, this, this, this friend of mine, one of her thoughts has been to somehow create supervision groups. I'm, I'm using the, the term supervision group. I'm just borrowing that from the psychotherapeutic trade. But something like that. It's great to meet in person if you can, but you know these days you, people could meet on the internet and, and still do this kind of work together and do this kind of support. And, and I think it would probably benefit, I think you're right, I think it would benefit our profession as a whole. And I think it would especially be of value to newer practitioners to have some extra support. Because you know what? Everybody needs some extra support when you first get out. You're learning to be a practitioner on your own. You're learning to run a business. Oh, that, that's a whole skill set all by itself. You could do complete groups on how to run a business. And by the way, business can be fun. <laughs> I, I really do. I, I, I used to think, oh, God, I got to do the business piece. And yeah, you know, I kind of begrudgingly did it. But over the years, I really, and, and I'm not kidding, I've really come to find that business is the practice of practice. And it's every bit as valuable and important as how we find those enlivened acupuncture points. These are not, the business side of our practice is not separate from our practice. It's like blood and chi. You need them both. Oh, forget it. I don't need that chi stuff, man. Just give me the blood. Yeah, well, okay, good. That's fine. You're going to get stagnated real quick. The business piece, I think, is really important. It's taken me a long time to come to that. But yeah, I'll, I'll really stand up for it. I won't say that I ever did as well in, on, on the business side. It was... Uh, um... Well, now, what do you mean by doing well? Because... One measure is you make money or have a lot of money in your retirement account or whatever. But like doing well in a practice, what's a successful practice? I think it's important to really think about what that means. So I, I heard you say earlier in this conversation, after years in the, in the commercial real estate business, you created the perfect business for you. And then you went and did something else. Creating the perfect business. It's just like one step. You didn't then stay there and just, you know, keep milking it. You went on to go do something else that, that like fed your soul in, some, in St. Louis that have like a community clinic and they do really well, right? I mean, they're like wicked smart business dudes. Successful 
might not be the smartest way to think about what's a successful practice. That's right. That's right. You know, there are some people, maybe they want to work part-time because they've got a family and they want to make sure they spend time with their family. You know, for other people, maybe they just want to make a lot of money and they, and they, I mean, I know some guys here. Well, and when you and I first had a conversation, part of that conversation was that I told you that I had been very lucky in that when I was in real estate, I had purchased a couple of multi-units. I had enough of a supportive income from other endeavors that for me, I could have a single-minded practice. And that practice was that high standard of doing what I, what I could do to, to make sure that my patient saw a positive response within two treatments, maybe three treatments, and then, and then go from there. <laughs> I had unconsciously set up the opportunity for me to do that. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, well, you actually freed yourself. You were able to free yourself in a certain way financially by doing what you'd been doing up to that point. Mm -hmm. Gave you the opportunity to do some other stuff. I feel very fortunate in that I have had to rely on my practice to, you know, make my daily bread. And so that has forced me to keep my nose to the grindstone of figuring out how to do this. And more importantly, I'm going to say it's invited me. I'm going to be generous. It has invited me <laughs> to look at all the ways that I've had bad opinions about money. It's invited me to look at all the ways I've had bad opinions about business and to realize that those were opinions that I'm not even sure where they came from. It might have been just like, you know, growing up in the 60s and, hey, man, you don't need money. Hey, man, you know, like, and, and to be able to grow beyond some of that and, and be able to go, yeah, money's important. There, there's a good reason to make some money. And, and there's no shame in it. Somehow along the way, you know, when I was younger, I had this idea, like, making money was a shameful thing. I don't know where I got that idea. Again, I think it might have been, you know, like growing up in the late 60s. Because it certainly didn't come from my family. Holy cow, man. My family was all small business people. They were happy to make money. 
Money was good. Money meant that you got to send your grandkids, you know, to this school. You know, money meant that you got to buy a nice car. Money meant that you got to take care of the people that you love and you were able to. That's right. Yeah. But it took me a long time to learn that because my I have like put myself in the position of making sure that my practice fed me. I had to keep chipping away at the various things and the attitudes that were getting in the way of being a, a financially successful practitioner. And you're right. There's a real value, and there's a value to that. In that. There really yep. is. So, so for me, that's been my path. You know, yours was different. You already set yourself up so you could kind of free yourself. Um, but I, I've used it as grist for the mill. And I suspect people listening to this conversation right now, you know, we've all got our own story that goes with, you know, what business is for us and, and, and why we love it or why we hate it or where our challenges are. It's, you know, we each have our own path with that. Yeah. 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 So I'm, I'm kind of into the business piece these days just because it has, it's helped me to grow into a much more well-rounded person. And I think it's made me a better practitioner because I haven't split off parts of myself and gone, nope, I'm not this, I'm that. I've learned to inhabit more of, of who I am. When you talk about business, are, are you talking about, about insurance in your practice? Oh, insurance in my practice. I am fortunate to live in St. Louis, Missouri, where there are no insurances that cover acupuncture. Wow. Yeah. Then you don't have to, you don't have to choose between the two. I don't have to choose between the two. No, I did when I was in Seattle. Um, but here it, yeah, it's just a cash business and I'm, you know, I'm down with that. That's fine. It's great. And, and if people really need, you know, if, if they're really in dire straits, there's community acupuncture down the street. There's resources here for people to be taken care of. And Medicare now, I think Medicare works with acupuncturists who, who find themselves under the auspices of a medical doctor. I, I'm not all that familiar with this. I've, ta I've talked to some people that are very involved with this. At this moment in time, I think you have to be under the auspices of a medical doctor. I don't know all the details, and there's, a, there's an opt-in thing, and there's something about states opting in. I, I don't know all the details, but, oh, my God, I just forgot the name of the organization. Was it the acupuncture? Oh, my goodness, I can't remember the name of the organization, but they're doing great work with this stuff right now. And you can work with... Two, two patients at one time? More? I can, yeah. I've got myself set up. I've got two treatment rooms. And I just kind of stagger them. But I, I work out of my house these days. i got a, a space in my home that is separate from the rest of my house. And so the commute's really nice. And I just, <laughs> again, I, I, I've, for me in the past five years or so, it's been about making it simpler. I want my life to be a little bit simpler, which is why I started Fabulous. a podcast, right? Yeah. That added some complexity. <laughs> I say I wanted simple, but uh, that, that was a lie. I, I, I apparently just, uh, that was a story I told myself. But yeah, I've got, I've got two rooms and although right now I'm just using one because it's COVID and, you know, I'm extra space between people and all that good stuff. So I'm just motoring along. And at one time you were in an actual office then. Yeah, so for the longest time I had, you know, an office, you know, just a regular office and and very much the idea that um, I have to look professional and I have to look medical. 
I, I really had that. It's like, work out of my home? That's unprofessional. I'm never doing that. Of course, at this point, I know if I say I'm never doing something in five years, trust me, I'll be doing it. <laughs> I know this. It's so funny to watch my uh, how my resistances show up. Um, but at a certain point, I got to thinking about what makes a professional. Is it the outside trappings? Or is it something that you have inside of yourself? And, and I realized at that point that man, if I'm not professional after 18 some odd years of practice, then I might as well toss in the towel because I'm never going to be professional. And then I realized that I didn't need an outside office, that I, I think I could do this out of my home. If I had the right kind of home that you know had a separate space. And so we ended up finding a house. We were looking to buy a house anyway, and we found the perfect house. It's like, okay, let's do this as an experiment. We'll buy the house. We'll see if it works having the office here. Um, you know, I could always move out if it doesn't. And it, you know, still at it. Did you, the demographics of your patients shift when you made that mm, move? Great question. I, I don't think so. No, not really. And how far, how far is your home from where your previous office was? About a mile and a half. Yeah, so that'll help. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, there's not a lot of acupuncturists in the St. Louis area, so sometimes people drive, like, ridiculous distances. And St. Louis is not a big town. Everything's 20 minutes from everything. So, it... And when somebody drives a ridiculous distance to get to your practice, does that make them less likely to return if they aren't 100% satisfied with the experience? I mean, by and large, when someone's driving a ridiculous distance, the first thing I want to try to do is find them a practitioner who's closer to them. I try to not have them come see me. I try to see if we can find someone closer to them who can help them. And, and if they still need to come in, you know, we'll do that, but maybe we can work more with herbs and I can ship it to them or, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the microphone was going to get turned around on me today. <laughs> I only have several more questions. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's, 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 it's kind of fun, actually. It's like, huh, yeah. so what do I think? <laughs> That's right. You know, and I'll often sit around thinking, well, how do I think about this? It, you know, th this is one of the things I love about the podcast is that in dialogue, I so often clarify things that are otherwise really amorphous. I think your listeners get that same opportunity when they get to listen to these kinds of conversations. That's right, yeah. 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 Well, you know, we're just a couple of acupuncturists sitting around talking about what it is to be acupuncturist, which, I mean, we don't have that opportunity very often. We're usually busy in our practices, and, you know, as, as much as we're working with people all the time, there's also an aspect of our work that is very isolating. When I would ask acupuncturists for help, I have a couple of very good friends, but we couldn't always talk the same language. And so what they would tell me was what they've done. I probably did the same to them. I don't think I knew how to ask them or take the time to really ask them enough so that both of us could sort out the reality of the problem at hand from their point of view. Here's the problem they're working on with kind of the mind frame and skill set they have. It's like, how could you, as someone trying to be helpful, enter their frame to help them better see 
what they're seeing and then figure out a solution. Yep. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've got a new job. <laughs> Unlikely. <laughs> but I've learned from you that I should never say never. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I'll just say unlikely. Very unlikely. I like that. I'm, I'm totally adopting that. Very <laughs> unlikely. I, I have noticed I have this habit that if I hear something new and I have this really strong negative reaction, what it really means is slow down, give yourself a little time with this because there's something here. You know, it's triggered something. And it's triggered some kind of resistance. But I have found myself way too many times being very verbose and clear. No way, I'm not doing it. No, that's stupid. Da, 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 da. And then like a few weeks later, I'm going, hmm, I might need to retract that. There might be something here. It, really, I, I mean, at this point, if something really catches me in a way and I, I see a certain kind of reactivity arise, I know there's something there. I just don't know what it is yet. All I know is that it's uncomfortable in this moment because something is getting like reconfigured, but the conscious mind doesn't know what it is yet. It sounds a lot like the standard cute meat in a rom-com where they just don't get along those two and you know they ultimately will. <laughs> so that's, that's you and whatever this is. No, never. I could never, I could never date that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's something to that, isn't there? Yeah, there sure yeah, is. Yeah, okay, so yeah. it's an archetypical thing if it's showing up. If, they, if, if rom-coms are based on this, there's some archetypical thing going on here. That's right. It works, it works there and it works here, apparently, too. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. I'm going to put you on the spot here. If some acupuncturist, especially new and struggling, was like, yeah, I could really use someone who can help me listen to myself and figure something out and they wanted to talk to you about it, would you be up to it? Would you be open to it? I would be. The only hesitation I would have is if they wanted help sorting out whether, whether this was a, a liver or a spleen dysfunction. I don't think I could help them. Well, I, I think you and I are actually talking about something different than is it a liver or a spleen dysfunction. I think what we're talking about is how do I know how I'm making sense of what I'm seeing? Yeah. I mean, we're talking, I mean, there's the level of, do I have the diagnosis right? But then there's also the level of, how am I making sense of this? What am I paying attention to? What am I ignoring? Yeah. And that's a whole other level of engagement. That's right. And it's yeah. a whole other way of looking at the situation. So then the short answer would be, I would try that out. I would do that. I would have that conversation with somebody. You would have that conversation. All right. I, I realize as we're having this conversation, and I look back on the conversations I've had, and I look back on the schooling that I had, yes, it was often very much about, do you have the diagnosis right? And did you get your treatment right? But I don't think many people talk to me about this other part that we're talking about right now of how am I making sense of it and how do I feel about it and how do I like know what I know and how do I know what my confusion is? Can I voice my confusion? Yes. Yeah, that's a whole different approach. And, and, and coming back to what you were talking about in terms of, you know, again, air quotes, your supervision might, might need to be a different word for that. 
Um, but we'll just use that for now because it's kind of standard nomenclature. I, I, yeah, having a space for those kinds of conversations, I think could be really helpful for our profession. Because sometimes it is about, is this a liver issue or a spleen issue? And sometimes the issues are like, you know, me talking about dealing with business. There are some obstacles that I put in my way. Can I become aware of my obstacles so I can just take them out of the way? Because once the obstacles are gone, the system just flows more freely. At least until the next obstacle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you noticed that whatever your solutions are of today become the problems of tomorrow? That's, I, I've noticed it. I haven't put it as well, but I have noticed it. Yeah. Love it. I wanted to talk with you about the, the kind of work that you did when you were doing acupuncture, because you were doing a lot of work with microcurrent and that sort of thing. But I also realize that we've already been, I don't know, maybe because we're just like old guys and we ramble, but we like already <laughs> rambled on quite a bit. So, so what I'd like to do is, is invite you back and, and maybe we could just like dig into some like nuts and bolts of like microcurrent because what I know about electricity is you should never lick a light socket. <laughs> and, and I've studied some electroacupuncture when I was in school and I've even talked to people on the podcast about it, but, but I'm still, I mean, when I think about like electricity and how you use it and how it works with the body and all this stuff, I, you know, it's like, I should know a hell of a lot more at this point than I do given how much attention I've given it, but I still don't know very much. So I'd like to invite you back to a second conversation. Absolutely. It was the basis of my practice mm -hmm. from my third year. So for the last 17 years, my practice was, was it was a bait and switch. <laughs> Somebody would come in thinking that they, were, that they were getting acupuncture, and they would, but what they really were getting was the workhorse, as I would describe it, would be this microcurrent technique that I was using. So I'd love to come back and talk about that. Great. I, I would love to have you do that because, again, it, it's one of those areas where however many conversations I've had, I, I just, it's like I can't, I haven't quite wrapped my mind around it yet. And so I am not the sharpest tool in the shed. I know that, but I'll tell you something, I'm damn persistent. And so, um, yeah, it'd be great to have another go at it. Terrific. Okay. All right, so so we'll do that. But before we wind it down today, any other last bits of advice or any other thoughts for people who might be coming up toward the sunset of a practice and some things to watch for or look for or to be attentive to? Are you asking how to how to make a decision whether it whether it really is the twilight of your practice? Or are you, are you asking me about the kind of mechanics of ending this endeavor? I was thinking more along the lines of maybe you're getting close to the end of your practice. How would you know? What are, and what are some things to watch for? Um, you were talking about burnout. Um, I'm wondering if there's other things that, that had caught your attention. But, but yes, also, if you have suggestions on the actual mechanics of winding it down. I mean, you already told us that you wrote people a letter, which to me, that is classy. That's a class act, man. But yeah, just, just any random thought, random or just pertinent thoughts that you have about 
things that people might want to consider? I know we've touched on a lot. Just want to make sure I haven't left anything out. I really felt, even though I hadn't included burnout, I really felt that either my patients were going to tell me that uh, my practice was passe and that there wouldn't be as many referrals. They would begin to find other solutions. Um, it would kind of naturally wind itself down. That's right. And uh, I would and, go out, wouldn't come back in. Yep. Mm-hmm. There was a, and there was some of that because I had taken a couple of months off. But it was also pretty clear that once, once my door was open again, patients were finding me again. So, so that wasn't... But I, but I still think that that's a reliable measure. Mm-hmm. Within the context of a treatment, I really relied on palpation skills, and I relied on that initial conversation, that connection that could be established really quickly, and I relied on, on a certain level of intuition. And I had to really be an observer about those and decide it's not a day-by-day, as, you, as you've said. On a given day, none of those may be working. But over, over the course of two months, have I seen a deterioration? Have I seen something changing in all of that or, any, or, or the keys of that? And if I had seen that, I was prepared to end the practice. certain amount of self-awareness and... Um certain amount of you know being tuned into what you're doing and 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 like noticing the like this literally like the season of your practice right is it is it spring and things are coming up is it autumn things are kind of dying back where where are you with it it's i think that i think that's good advice you know and it also includes like who we are in these moments who do i want to be right now mm-hmm. there's one other piece to this michael which is there was a concept called the Peter Principle, which was that in a corporation, any individual would rise to their level essentially of incompetence. I think there's such a thing in acupuncture, there's the Peter Principle of acupuncture, where you rise to, the, to that level where the people who are finding you are the people who you can no longer help. And whether that's because it's become too complicated or for any of these other reasons, you've reached that, that Peter principle of acupuncture. Is that, is that fair? Is that fair to, to say? I want to chew on that. I want to, I'm going to think about that a little bit. I think we do, I mean, that whole idea of rising to a level of incompetence, I, I want to speak about it from the other side. I think we're all more happy and more satisfied with life. And we, I think we all do the, our very best work when we're working at the very edge of our ability. There's something about the challenge. There's something about the learning. There's something about, you know, just that flavor of being on the edge, right? I think most of us like a challenge. And, and so, you know, on one hand, that, that can drive us and keep us going. But if we're constantly dealing with situations that we're not capable of really being helpful in, then there's some trouble. And, and, and is it because our mental capacity has diminished? Is it because uh, more difficult cases are coming to see us? Or is it just because, you know what, it's actually time for something different and, and I'm not as keenly engaging as I might have been at one point? 
you should really have the last word here, but I'm going to tell you that my affirmation, I loved working at the, at the best of my skill set. And my affirmation was always solvable problems, surmountable obstacles. I always, I, I liked having them. I liked thinking that, that I could solve them. That, my friend, is great advice. And we'll wind it down on that for today. Great. This has been so much fun. I really, I really appreciate the, 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 that you would invite me here. It's been my pleasure. Great. My fellow Missourian Mark Twain said that he never let his schooling interfere with getting an education. I remember how much I realized I loved learning once I was out of college. It's great to know what we know, but it's even more delicious to engage the process of learning something for which we have a thirst. I noticed recently that some UT logicians have been supporting Geological now for years. Years! I gotta tell you, it so warms my heart to know that you are finding value in listening to Geological. I'm deeply grateful for your support of the podcast and your trust in the work that is unfolding here. Really, from the bottom of my heart, a deep thank you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.